for that truth about you and we're grateful for the fact that you do not become like us in that regard but your interest in bringing us more in alignment with you thank you that that never changes in your life and in who you are Lord in your character and we pray that as we turn to your word now tonight that you would use it to answer Jesus's prayer to sanctify us by your truth your word is truth and so we pray for that sanctifying work Lord in our lives and even in that those unexpected ways those things that we don't think about in terms of sanctification in our lives that that would be accomplished as well we pray that you continue to conform us into the image of your son through your word tonight and we ask it in Jesus name amen Please be seated. Good evening to you. Acts chapter 4, Sunday night through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. The context of chapter 4, of course, is chapter 3, but sometimes uh, the chapter breaks don't require a a a bit of a reminder related to the former chapter in order to get our bearings but this uh, being a narrative it certainly uh, does that we remember that uh, God's healing of the man the lame man lame from birth at the beautiful gate in the city of Jerusalem at the time of uh, the afternoon prayer and uh, and 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 healed uh, by Peter and John by the Holy Spirit through them in Jesus's name Uh, This crowd gathers, as we'll see in this chapter. This man had been in that condition all of his life for 40 full years. People knew him at that gate of the temple, and so now they see him leaping and praising God and jumping and all of these things. And a crowd, of course, is going to gather. And then Peter stood up, and he preached the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus as an explanation for this man, the miracle in this man's uh, changed uh, lives. And, uh, and so in the first three chapters of the book of Acts, it's been nothing uh, but this uninterrupted progress. We would, if the book of Acts ended at the end of chapter three, we would uh, understand uh, the uh, life of the Christian and Christian ministry is uh, preach the gospel and thousands get saved. And, uh, but that wouldn't be a very um, full picture of what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of light that is uh, very much uh, in uh, a battle against the kingdom of darkness and Satan in, in attacking that and attacking the truth of, of this kingdom. And so lest we think that everyone's always going to be excited for our, uh, and grateful for our service to the Lord, we come to... Uh, the use of persecution and intimidation as an attempt to silence not only the disciples, but this is in full play, of course, uh, in the world today, all around the world, and certainly within our uh, culture. Now, as they spoke to the people, that is, Peter and John, and preaching uh, the message of Jesus Christ and the need to be saved and the invitation to be saved, As they spoke to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people 
uh, uh, number one, and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them in a non-Pentecostal way. They, uh, they arrested them and they put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. We know, I don't know how many uh, women and children, but mostly men heading to the temple to pray at that, that time of the day. So immediately, as we see and as we read last week, Peter preaches this sermon there. Uh, in the area of the temple. Clearly, they've come onto the area uh, of the temple through the gate as this man that's been healed now joins them to head in for uh, the hour of prayer. And, um, and they're quickly surrounded by uh, the priests uh, with, uh, at the temple and the captain of, uh, in charge of the security at the temple, and we're told the Sadducees. They represented the religious establishment. You had the Pharisees who were the legalists, um, and neither the Sadducees nor the Pharisees represented uh, Judaism as it's intended in the Old Testament. But one uh, was a group of legalists, and the Sadducees were another sect on the complete other end of the spectrum, and they were the theological liberals of of their day. And so their reaction here to what is clearly the very effective preaching of Peter uh, in that realm of the temple, we're told in verse 2, they were greatly disturbed. Uh, the Sadducees had, uh, and, and the Sadducees were the ones of the two groups, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Sadducees had control of the temple. Uh, they had the control of the temple grounds. They had control of the offerings, the money exchange. They had turned uh, the worship of uh, the Lord into just an absolute hand over fist money-making machine. And so they had control over that area. And the two things that troubled them the most, Peter was doing both of them, number one, preaching and teaching in the area of the temple without uh, their permission, without proper authority. And number two, he was preaching resurrection, and specifically the resurrection of Jesus from the dead as the explanation for this man's healing and his, his changed lives. Again, the Sadducees were the theological liberals of their day. They didn't believe in the existence of angels or in spirits. They didn't believe in miracles. They didn't believe in resurrection. Uh, they didn't, uh, 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 they even questioned the uh, mortality of the soul, the idea of life uh, after death. And so they recognized immediately the threat to Peter's preaching and to Christianity, uh, the threat to their religious uh, institution. And so often when a person stands up with the kind of boldness that do Peter does here, a boldness that looks like Christ, it's loving, but it's clear and delivering uh, the message, persecution will come to that uh, kind of Christian. And surprisingly, it doesn't come from Rome. It comes from uh, the religious establishment that is threatened by the truth concerning Jesus Christ. They seem to be almost always the first one to recognize the implications of Christ, his resurrection, the freedom from religion, 
as, as man turns it into, the freedom uh, from religion that he brings to an individual uh, person's life. And of course, it's a threat to the religious institution. It immediately uh, gets their attention. They recognize that what Peter was preaching here as he, they did, uh, the other thing is they didn't believe in miracles. So Peter is now been used by God for the accomplishing of a miracle and then ascribing it to a resurrected Christ. They see the danger immediately. Uh, Christianity and what has just happened here in the area of the temple and what we teach, they're mutually exclusive. Uh, they are not both of them going to survive in the minds of people. People will come to conclude one to be the truth, the other to be false, or vice versa. But they are uh, mutually e- exclusive. And, and since uh, this risen Jesus was the healing of the lame man and the saving of, of people by the thousands on the, the Temple Mount, uh, again, governed by the Sadducees, they realize we've got to squash this uh, immediately, and it didn't look good for them. And so they wanted to kind of squash it before it could uh, even grow. But they, of course, have no chance related to that. They laid hands on Peter and John, and as they arrested him, uh, them, they put him in custody. So they went into jail overnight. So you can imagine they go at three o'clock to the temple to be a part of uh, the, the prayers associated with the evening sacrifice, and they end up spending a night uh, in jail. It's a very exciting life, this Christian life. Uh, you never know what a day is going to, uh, to bring. And so... Uh, you obey God and, and uh, all kinds of excitement happens. All of it is good. And sometimes we're surprised by persecution and especially surprised by persecution um, by uh, religious uh, leaders or religious institutions. We say to ourselves, but I'm a nice person as a Christian. And that's exactly the problem. Uh, you are bad, uh, ad, uh, you are good advertising for Christianity and bad advertising uh, for the religious institutions that could not do anything for this man for 40 years. God did not put the favor of the healing upon them. He didn't endorse them uh, in the way that he did to open a door for the preaching of his son. And so persecution is something Jesus said that a servant's not greater than his master, and so we're not. Uh, And uh, if he was persecuted, we will be persecuted for the same reasons uh, that they persecuted him. In verse 5, we're told, and it came to pass on the next day that the rulers, the elders, the scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, uh, a Sadducee, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, they were gathered together uh, at Jerusalem. And so here you have all of the highest officials among uh, the Jewish establishment at that time. Uh, it's what's known as the Sanhedrin. They call them together now to uh, put them on trial for what it is that, uh, that, that uh, Peter and John had done and what had happened uh, the previous uh, day. So the rulers are uh, the high-ranking religious leaders associated with kind of the administration uh, of the temple. Uh, the elders, these were the respected leaders of the major clans and, uh, and tr- uh, tribes of, of Israel. The scribes were the lawyers. 
Uh, they were the experts in the religious law of the Jews. They were brought in. Annas, the high priest, he's the former high priest. Uh, and then as well as Caiaphas, the existing high priest at that time. And he talks about John and Alexander, uh, the family of the high priest. Everybody had, a, had their snout in the trough, the religious trough at that time. And they held uh, different positions and official positions in the temple administration. And so here they are in this setting. And, uh, and all of these men are seated in this room uh, where they are seated, the religious uh, leaders uh, on a, a seated kind of, of, of a platform that was raised above uh, those that were being questioned. And Peter is brought in, John is brought in, and the man who had been healed was brought in now for this hearing uh, before them. They're set in the midst, we're told. The entire uh, proceeding the entire environment is one that was intended to intimidate, and in this case, to intimidate into silence. It would be like bringing, as these guys, as they were viewed as just fishermen uh, from the, uh, just fishermen hicks from up in the Galilee, uh, it, uh, being brought in before this, these trained religious scholars and all of this, it'd be like uh, in terms of their authority in the Jewish religious establishment, like bringing a wheat farmer from Kansas and putting them before the president, the vice president, the Senate, the House of Representatives, and, and uh, 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 the Supreme Court, and then trying them for what it is that uh, they've done. Well, it would be tremendously uh, intimidating environment. We will not appreciate uh, Peter's boldness here unless we understand how intimidating that environment was. Uh, it, it was. It was all designed to get them to look down at their shoes and, and grovel before this group and promise to never do what they had just done ever again. And that was the intent uh, of, of the hearing. And so this intimidation is, uh, is going on with that, that very specific goal. Their interest is not in justice at all, uh, injustice at all, but the intimidating them into silence to no longer speak of Jesus' resurrection, no longer speak of God's offer of salvation through uh, Jesus. And so this question then in uh, verse 7, that they posed then to Peter and John, and when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? Well, that's known as an open door uh, for the gospel and a, a question. And again, you look at the book of Acts, and I still contend that a person can be kept sharing the gospel and the truth about God by just simply answering the questions that people have about God uh, uh, addressing misconceptions that people have about God and, and Christianity and jumping into the doors that open up in just regular kind of conversation, certainly in this kind uh, of an environment. But the question that they ask here in verse 7, it isn't an honest uh, question. They didn't call this assembly now to, uh, to learn more about Jesus and, uh, and, and, uh, and, and allow them to give their claims, give Jesus a fair hearing uh, as it relates to before them uh, any more than these same men had given Jesus a fair hearing just months before 
on the morning of his crucifixion in uh, that same room before many of these, uh, these same uh, men. And so they posed the question in the hopes that somehow uh, Peter or John would answer the question in violation uh, of Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. And so the, the leaders of, of the children of Israel, when there was a miracle that occurred, when God uh, did a miracle, it was, nobody was to, according to the law of Moses, look at that miracle and say, this is of God. Because, of course, the devil can accomplish miracles too. So there was the added criteria of a miracle being done and then to investigate the miracle and find out uh, who was given credit for the miracle. And if credit for the miracle was given to anyone or anything other than God and drawing people in their faith then away from God as a result, then uh, that, uh, that miracle and the message behind the miracle would be rejected. And so they would test it. Is God going to be given the glory for this, this miracle? Will Peter and John, and they are of course hoping that they will stumble in this account, somehow take credit for the miracle and not give God the full credit for it. And so this is what uh, their hope is in, in this situation. And then they'd be able to, according to the law of Moses, at least condemn them uh, to uh, death. And so uh, this is what they wanted to find out from Peter and John and what's behind uh, the question. A miracle's been done. Uh, now, who are you going to point to us to as a result of that? And uh, who's going to get the glory? Peter, of course, and he recognizes uh, this as another amazing open door that has been opened up uh, to him. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel. So he speaks uh, very politely to this group. They're wrong. Peter understands exactly what's happening uh, in, in that room, but he is filled with the Holy Spirit and he treats them with respect. And so he begins to address them. You notice this, that the sermon that comes forth now, we're told that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and this is the, the origin of the sermon that is coming forth and the boldness that is in his life. Peter had already been baptized with the Holy Spirit with the other 120 up in the upper room in the city of Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And so what is it talking about if he's been uh, baptized with the Holy Spirit, the upon coming of the Holy Spirit upon his life? What are we talking about him being filled with the Holy Spirit in, in uh, uh, this situation? And uh, as he's once again now filled with the Holy Spirit. Technically related to the scriptures on this, this issue of the baptism with the Holy Spirit, technically there is one uh, baptism with the Holy Spirit in a Christian's life. Uh, one moment in which we are baptized with the Holy Spirit, he comes upon us, we're baptized with the Holy Spirit, but there are many refillings with the Holy Spirit subsequent to uh, that. You might remember that P, uh, Paul, um, it, it, when Paul wrote to the churches in Galatia, uh, uh, or wrote to Ephesus, he said, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Uh, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. The tense is be being filled with the Holy Spirit. So there's any time where um, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit decades ago, but I am continually asking on a daily basis, Lord, refill me with your Holy Spirit for what I find myself in the middle of here. Overflow my life and fill me up for what is needed here. And one of the reasons that we need to be refilled with the Holy Spirit is number one, because we leak, and number two, and more importantly, is because this virtue, this holy, the work of the Holy Spirit through our lives is, is like a torrent of living water. It's going forth from our lives. And so we begin, uh, we begin our day and, uh, and, and begin our day in reading the scriptures in a time of prayer with God. And, uh, and we surrender our lives to him, ask for sensitivity of his, the leading of his Holy Spirit in our lives. On that day, we're so full of God and ready to go and hit it. And then the kids get up. Or old grumpy gets up. Or you head to the office and there's this note on your phone and some crisis is blown up uh, in the business or in some area of your responsibility or something happens and somebody or you have a series of meetings uh, uh, that morning, difficult uh, uh, meetings. And in all of them, as we are operating in the Holy Spirit in the midst of all of this, we're giving out, we're giving out of of. God in our, our lives. And so we can begin to feel, as I often say, 10 o'clock in the morning, began the day filled with the Holy Spirit, 10 o'clock in the morning. There is way more, potentially, way more Damien Kyle coming out of this life at this moment than the Holy Spirit. And so I find a phone booth, I go inside of it, and I ask to be refilled with the Holy Spirit. You, know, you don't need a phone booth. It's just wherever we are, to just ask to be refilled with the Holy Spirit, and, and he will do that. And so Peter here, here's a new situation that he's in, and he's refilled with the Holy Spirit. We'll see it uh, uh, in, in e- with even greater clarity toward the end of the, the chapter. And so uh, he speaks to them here, and, and there is no book of Acts apart from uh, the filling uh, of, of the Holy Spirit. And what we're going to see in Peter here uh, is not just uh, what, uh, you know, the content of his message to them being from the Holy Spirit, but also the way that he, he conducts himself. And so when Peter speaks to them and he says, if we are this day, if we this day are judged for the good deed done to a helpless man by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel. So he's, he's not intimidated by the audience in front of him. I want all of you to know. And I wish you would have gathered all of Israel uh, into this room because I'd tell them the same thing. That by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who you, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you. And here in this wisdom, he is just interconnected uh, the resurrection of Jesus and the truth of that resurrection now uh, to the Father, raising this man up from his lame condition and, and doing it uh, in the name of a risen 
uh, Jesus Christ. And so, uh, very, very bold here uh, in, in this situation, respectful. He lays things out to them. He's not scorning them. I mean, it had to be weird. Here he is. Tell us by what power, by what name you've done here. And uh, it had to seem uh, odd to Peter and to John that we've been brought before the Sanhedrin for a religious trial because a man who sat at the gates of the temple of Judaism was not healed for 40 years and God did it through us? Well, it's a ridiculous scenario. And it's going to dawn on uh, the, the Jewish religious leaders as, as it unfolds. And so in one sentence here, he preaches the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You look at verse 10, you cannot cram more Jesus into a verse than he does there. Uh, by name, by personal pronoun, it's like, if I got one sentence, this is what we're going to do. And start out with a joke or talking about the Oakland A's and whether they're going to go to uh, uh, Las Vegas or not. Gets right down to, uh, to the point and boldly uh, preaches. And then he goes on in verse 11. He quotes Psalm 118, which is a messianic psalm, speaking of uh, Jesus' fulfillment of uh, this psalm, uh, this uh, passage in Psalm 118, uh, in, in his uh, uh, death, life, death, burial, and resurrection. This is the stone, speaking of Jesus, which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief uh, cornerstone. And so he declared their rejection of Jesus as the Messiah. Uh, he declared that it had been foretold uh, in their own scriptures. I don't know how many of them got that. As Peter is speaking to them, you crucified him. This is what you did to him. And believe it or not, you fulfilled scripture, a scripture no one would want to be guilty of fulfilling in the Old Testament in doing so. And so he lays this psalm out uh, to them. You're the leaders, you're the builders, and you have done with Jesus exactly what the psalmist declared you would do a thousand years earlier. And then Peter, you would think, well, all right, he's made his point. He's going to clear out of the room. Uh, but no, he is, going to, he is going to preach for a decision he is going to call on them in this room. Think about these men. The 70 most powerful Jewish religious leaders in the entire world. And in that environment, he not only answers their questions, but he won't stop until he calls up on them to put their faith in Christ. Jesus is the Christ for salvation. And he said, uh, to them, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And he calls on them to put their faith uh, in him. Salvation cannot be found in any other name. And so here you have this this, what is at this point uh, among the Christians, a very, very small persecuted minority within the city of uh, uh, Jerusalem. Uh, the, the human power and authority 
that these Jewish religious leaders had to make life miserable, impossible for Christians and for anyone who would speak to them with this kind of clarity was immense. They could destroy anybody that they wanted to, humanly speaking. And so this environment is, is intimidation uh, off of, of the graph. And, and yet uh, here Peter calls on them uh, to be saved and, uh, and he doesn't budge from the fact uh, the truth that faith in Jesus is the only means of salvation. And it really is inspiring when you see uh, so many, even Christian leaders, uh, willing to negotiate that issue in environments that are soft, environments that are comfortable, environments in which there will be no price paid on a physical level for denying that fact. And people move away from it. But that's not the New Testament church. And that's not the early church. He is the only way, the only means by which a person may receive the forgiveness of sins and be saved because he is uniquely qualified in human history as the God-man to be able to supply that uh, that to us. And so in, in, in this spiritual courage is absolutely uh, inspiring and really an example of what uh, God will do really in any Christian's life when they're put um, in that place. Jesus had said, you'll be brought before kings and rulers in my, for my name's sake, but it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. Therefore, settle it in your hearts. Do not meditate beforehand on what you will answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which your adversaries will not be able to contradict or uh, resist. And that now becomes evident in verse 13. And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. So, before they open their mouths, we're given their reaction to what they've just heard. They marvel at the boldness of Peter in declaring this truth to them in, in that environment. And Peter gets done, and they are literally left uh, stunned. They have no answer to what Peter has said. I mean, they thought they had a little trap going there. Peter not only popped the trap, uh, but then uh, went on to, you know, run them over, so to speak. The, that uh, in this whole, uh, is it speaks there of the fact that they marveled. It means to wonder, and it apply, implies uh, admiration. And so here we got a couple of hicks from Galilee. We're going to steamroll them, and instead they're left dumbfounded. And they're left uh, speechless because, and they had been silenced by those they considered to be uneducated and untrained. And, and so when they, when they viewed the two apostles as being uneducated and untrained, it didn't mean that they were uh, ignorant and uh, got a 25 on their SAT scores. It meant that they had not gone through the religious training that all of the religious leaders in the south in Jerusalem went through. So uh, here they were uneducated in 
uh, in, uh, theologically, at least in the indoctrination of the Sadducees or the, the Pharisees, didn't mean that they were unable to read or unable uh, to write. And so uh, uneducated, they hadn't received that seminary training or formal religious training, no theological degree. When it says they noticed that they were untrained, it means that they didn't come from kind of a, a professional background uh, uh, that would, you know, give them a high standing or they weren't trained in rhetoric or trained in public speaking. These kinds of things are coming from, you know, white collar kind of class of, uh, of, uh, of employee or background. They were just fishermen from uh, a, uh, the Sea of Galilee, just blue collar background. And yet, despite this, they marveled uh, at them, at how confident they were and unashamed and absolutely unintimidated they were in their speech. And again, they were used to people being brought into that room and being spoken to, immediately being allowed to allow themselves to be put in their place and then shuffle out of that room with a vow never to do again uh, whatever it was that had displeased the religious establishment, and they didn't run into uh, this at all. And how here they could just essentially school uh, the Sanhedrin and leave them uh, speechless and, uh, and, uh, and, and, and doing this as a uh, resorting to their threats or their attempt to intimidate them into silence. And then very, very importantly in verse 13, they realized that these men had been with Jesus. If we are going to see another revival in this world or in the United States of America before the Lord's return is going to look like this. It's going to look like some, anybody, but probably some David overlooked in his own family coming out of who knows where that nobody knows. And they're filled with the Holy Spirit and they're born again, and they know the Scriptures, and they just declare it. They just declare it. And I guarantee you, when someone rises up with that kind of anointing upon their life, God is going to add His amen to it in the form of, of revival, which we so desperately need. Somebody has to stand up and not apologize for God and not try to cow down to everything that is trying to intimidate us in the culture and just say what God says in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't require seminary training. I'm not against that, but a lot of people lose their faith in seminary. And, and someone that has this kind of a faith in God gets up, speaks in this way, knows the Scriptures, and is unflinching in terms of God's truth and puts that into the mix and sees what God does with that. And it isn't something like we can look and say, how many of you would like to be that person? Well, I'd like to be. It isn't, doesn't work like that. God chooses His people. I'm just saying when He chooses that person, this is what you'll see. You won't see this milquetoast nonsense being blessed by God with a revival. Why would he revive that? We don't need more than of that. We need more of this. 
And that's the wonderful thing about the book of Acts is it's the touchstone. It's the place we return to to regain our sanity and reassess the Christianity that we're living. And to come and look and say, is this me? Is this what this church is? Is this what the church is that I allow to speak into my life by way of podcasts and these kind of things? Uh, and if it's not, the, the idea is somebody's got to move and it's not going to be the apostles and what we see here, but that we have to move back toward them. And God is going to bless that. And the single greatest characteristic of the man or the woman that he uses in this kind of way is found there in verse, the end of verse 13. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. It only works when somebody declares the truth of God's word about Jesus Christ and the boldness of the Holy Spirit and it comes out of their relationship with God. Something real in them. Not a series of things that they learned in school or learned online. This is the, the God that they know, that they love, and that they're speaking for. They are connected to him in what it is that they're doing. And those are the ingredients that you'll see if we see a revival before the Lord's return. People are hungry for this, craving for this, this kind of clarity. And uh, here Peter and John demonstrated this there in, uh, in that uh, environment. Terrible, terrible environment of intimidation. And again, we live in such an environment. I'll, I'll address that a little more fully in, in just a, a moment. And so here, no degrees, uh, no training in rhetoric, but they knew the scriptures, they believed the scriptures, they believed the God of the scriptures, and they had a real relationship with God. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they spoke what God said. I said, pray God raises up a zillion people uh, just like that all around uh, the world. And so I think that in terms of when it looks at and they say, and they realize they had been with Jesus, I think as they were listening uh, to Peter, they recognized in Peter and what Peter was saying, conversations that they had had personally with Jesus himself over and over and over again. They recognized the source of what was coming from Peter in this, uh, in this sermon. And so they couldn't deny uh, the miracle and seeing the man who had been healed standing among them, he's still standing right there, they could say nothing against it. They wanted to, but they couldn't because the miracle is right there of a changed life that they couldn't change for 40 years. And God didn't use them uh, to, uh, to do that. And so they couldn't deny the miracle in, in any way, couldn't deny Peter's explanation for the miracle because he gave the credit to God and that it was done through the Messiah and he backs it up uh, with, with Scripture. 
And, and uh, so the, their verbal response to what it is that Peter had declared was absolute silence. And they realized they've been kind of checkmated here on this by God, certainly not by Peter himself, uh, but by God using him, and they needed a little bit of a time out. So they asked that Peter and John and the, the man that had been healed uh, to exit the room so they could have a little confab. And when they had uh, commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves saying, what shall we do to these men? Follow them. <laughs> Believe in the message. They just said everything is communicating to you. Only one thing to do. What is this conversation about? but they're not interested in the truth. And Peter had preached this sermon twice before, variation of it, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. 3,000 saved the first time, 5,000 saved the second time, and zero saved in that room because of the condition of the heart of the listener. They did not come to be persuaded. Nothing anyone could say to them about Jesus would pry them loose from the power and the money that they were making and had related to that, that religious racket that they were, uh, they were overseeing. For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done uh, through them in violation of the teaching of the Sadducees, I think we ought to rethink what it is that we believe is Sadducees, but no, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem. Uh, we can't keep it a secret at this point, and we can't deny it. I want, we want to deny it, but we can't deny it. That's off the table. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name, uh, in the name of Jesus. And so uh, they... Uh, this is the prohibition that they determined to place upon uh, Peter and John. And when they had called them, they commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of uh, Jesus. And so this is their, uh, their they communicated uh, to them, and Peter and John together they answered and they said to them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. I don't know what your relationship with God is like and how you determine right and wrong and what you're going to do or not do. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And so they refused to do it because God had given them a commandment. It's called the Great Commission to go into all the world and to make disciples of all men and now they're being commanded not to do that by the religious establishment. And they, in essence, say, you're forcing us to choose between being faithful to God or being faithful to you. And I don't know what your relationship with God is like, but that's not on the table for our relationship with God. We must do what it is that he calls us uh, to do. And I think it's, verse 19 is, is beautiful in that it's amazing how deep and beautiful Christianity is the Christian life and the Bible and all. There's a very simple thing as well. And, and what Peter is kind of <clears throat> speaking about here, and the issue, he says, in our decision-making is what is right 
in the sight of God. And then we're going to do that. And you're never going to, we're never going to go wrong in, in anything we do as Christians as we just ask ourselves, what is right in the sight of God here? And then, then doing that. And whether I'm in front of a group like this or whether it's making a decision about something that's uh, much smaller in terms of, of its uh, significance. But <clears throat> for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Excuse me a moment. I got a little excited earlier. And so when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them, not because they didn't try, because of the people, since all glorified God for what had been done in this man's life, for the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. And so they're the typical politician, and there are religious politicians, and they just weighed at what would happen if we uh, did something, imprisoned them, or some kind of a thing like this. Uh, we would, uh, uh, the people ascribe this to God, even if we uh, don't. And there's too many of these people, and we're not going to cross them. So they... They tucked their tail in and uh, went to fight another day. And being let go, <clears throat> they, Peter and John, went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. Um, remember, the day before, their companions, their Christian friends and, and all, <clears throat> the early church, the uh, last thing they knew about Peter and John is that um, they headed at 3 o'clock over to the temple to pray. And that's all they've... That's all they know. Certainly, word has gotten back to them that God had used them in this way for the healing of this man and Peter preaching and, and that kind of news. But what is going to become of these two apostles at the hands of the Jewish religious leaders, they didn't know. And Peter and John comes to them immediately and uh, tells them exactly what happened. And, and here, you have, uh, here you have an example for us the Bible talks about not forsaking the assembling together of the saints and the importance of Christian fellowship, the importance of a local body, a group of Christians being in fellowship. We all hit things in our lives. It may not be as big as what hit the apostles, but things that are bigger than us that we need to process with the body of Christ other Christians, to be encouraged by them, to be prayed for by them. And so they immediately go in and, and engage in, in Christian fellowship for uh, just what Christian fellowship is intended to uh, accomplish in our lives, even an apostle. <clears throat> in the 40-plus years that I have walked with the Lord, I have never known God to use any man or woman powerfully who forsakes the assembling together of the saints. It doesn't happen. Why would he use someone who doesn't understand how dear the body of Christ is to God? And why would he use someone to advance in their attitude towards church or attitudes towards people and, uh, and uh, modeling this before the body of Christ as a whole who's unwilling to do that. And so the importance of 
this kind of fellowship that we see in the early, uh, early church. And so when they had heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord, and they said, and as they lifted up in prayer, this was their immediate response. The first response of Peter and John was to seek out fellowship. The second response to this attempt to intimidate was to go to prayer. And they prayed out to God with uh, one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. That's a great way to begin the prayer. So here you are, this environment of intimidation. These, these men think they have all of the spiritual authority in Jerusalem, and they're attempting to intimidate. And so often <clears throat> there can be giants in our life or situations in our life in which um, uh, the threats of a group of people or the threats of a single person, uh, those become greater in dominating us than the realization of how big God is and how much he is for us. And prayer is what reverses that. It allows us to regain perspective. And so they begin to address God here. You are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and not one person that we stood for before two hours ago can do any of this. Jesus, when he taught us to pray, the disciples said, Lord, teach us how to pray. He said, well, pray after this manner. Our Father, which art in heaven. And that first line, don't do the rosary with that prayer. Don't just race through it. Every part of that prayer has a component that is one you settle down into and immerse into. And to just stop and think about who it is that I am praying to. His greatness. He is bigger than every problem I'm about to bring to him. Every need that I have in my life. And to camp there as long as I need to. Until I see my life in the context and my problem of him. And not in the context of the problem. And that's what they do. They praise God for who he is and, and who by the mouth of your servant David said of the Messiah, of Jesus, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his uh, Christ. And so uh, they, they quote the psalm here. And, uh, and uh, for truly against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before uh, to uh, be done. And so that meditation upon the fact that God is in control all this is, Lord, is the fulfillment of Scripture. What you said would be true of man, secular man, religious man, related to Jesus and related to this, uh, this kingdom. 
and they settled down here in all of this, the fact that God was in control, he was aware of everything that was happening, and in fact, he had said it would happen uh, beforehand, and they rejoiced in his control of the situation. Lord, you're in charge of this world, you're in charge of our lives, nothing has happened except what you have allowed. Now help us to see what it is that you are doing here in this, uh, this situation, but your will is being accomplished. Your will, not the will of the Sanhedrin. They could threaten, but they couldn't go a step beyond what God uh, allowed them to do. And so they committed the threat. Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness uh, they may uh, speak your word by stretching out uh, your hand uh, to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, uh, Jesus. He said, keep doing even more miracles if it means we get an opportunity to preach Jesus resurrected as a result of that. Keep doing your miracles. Keep doing the very thing that got us into this uh, trouble and in order that we might uh, preach the word. And then they just simply asked that God would give them the boldness and the power to be open uh, about their faith. They didn't ask for uh, escape from the situation. God, just enable us in this environment and give us the boldness that we need. And boldness is not a bull in a china shop. It is, it is a, it is, it will, a sanctified boldness will always look like Christ. So it isn't like putting people in a headlock and, and saying, okay, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and then taking them all the way to Revelation chapter 22 or something like that. It, it speaks respectfully to people, but it speaks. It speaks up. And it, and it speaks for uh, God. And so they prayed for even more of these things in order that uh, more lives might be changed. As this man who, remember, had not only been healed of his uh, lameness, but had come to faith in Christ as, a well, as well. And so they pray for a fresh filling. You notice in verse 31 with the Holy Spirit. Again, they've already been baptized in the Holy Spirit. But here is a new trial. Here's a new chapter. Here is a new, bigger thing that is on our path. Now freshly fill us with your Holy Spirit and your boldness for, uh, for this and, uh, and uh, in order that we might uh, not be intimidated into uh, any kind of, of silence. And so uh, here is this, uh, this great, beautiful request. We say, oh boy, you know, you go home and you sit down, you don't get around other Christians, and you say, I better turn the flame down. I'm not talking about um, uh, preaching at work or talking about God at work on an employer's uh, dime. I'm talking about everywhere else in life where God opens, clearly opens up doors, and we're sensitive to those doors. When those, when, when those 70 some members or however many they were of, of the Sanhedrin were sitting there in front uh, of uh, Peter and, and John, 
Peter and John could not have arranged for that audience for a hundred million dollars. And God gave it to them for free. And to look at a situation and say, what is happening here that I could never put together for all the money in the world? And help me understand, Lord, what my part is in this and then the boldness to do that. And the answer to their prayer uh, was uh, immediate. And uh, when they had prayed, the place was where they were assembled together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the Word of God with uh, boldness. And so uh, this beautiful, beautiful chapter, we'll stop there because uh, the rest of the chapter is really an introduction to chapter 5. And I want to just spend a, 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 a couple of minutes in worship here in closing uh, tonight. And, uh, but I think the passage has a very important applications to us uh, today. And the, the threats of men under all kinds of different motivations today uh, to intimidate us into silence concerning sharing the gospel, uh, using Jesus' name. I remember one time I was at a, a thing and, and it was a, a terrible, terrible tragedy had occurred and the community came together for, for prayer and to seek and, and all of these kind of things. And I had told, been asked to pray uh, to open things up or, or some part like that. And then at the very last second before I was going to go out onto the platform, uh, the representative of, of law enforcement that had been part of putting it together said, you can't use Jesus' name. And I said, then I can't do it. I use his name in every other prayer in my life. And now you're telling me, I said, you're going to need to find someone uh, very quickly to do this opening prayer because I can't do that. And he was, it was good. He said, no, go ahead and out there and, and do that. And so I did. I'm not trying to poke anybody in the eye, but I'm not going to hide who and what I am every other minute of the day in my life in some other environment. And so we see how much pressure is on us today uh, to be silent concerning these, th these things. And the three uh, keys to living a, a life of boldness for God, the importance of fellowship, I need encouragement, I need other saints, the importance of prayer, praying together for perspective, and then the importance of being refilled with the Holy Spirit. And so the passage asks us, and this is not like, okay, now here's the gotcha moment, and um, if you didn't, it, 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 uh, this is where he makes us leave um, hating ourselves and considering ourselves a terrible failure. I hope I don't do that, at least not on a regular basis um, or, or at all. But to just ask ourselves today in the privacy of our own life, just between us and God, have you or I allowed ourselves to be threatened or to be intimidated into silence as a Christian? And we've bought into the prohibitions of all of our enemies, all of the enemies of the cross of Christ, and we now live our Christian life within those parameters and within those uh, restrictions. And we accept their demands that we live this Christian life on their terms instead of God's terms. 
where we never share Christ anymore or we never even begin the day with a se- asking for a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Lord, would you open a door for me to share the gospel? Would you help me recognize that open door or some aspect of your truth? And then the boldness to go through that door. I'd love for Jesus' name to be on my lips to somebody today. Would you grant me uh, that, that privilege? Or do we find ourselves now being very careful in all of these different environments? Not talking about work environments and, and somebody else's dying, but all of these other family dynamics and all of these other kind of things. And, and we deliberately avoid bringing up God or Jesus or the Bible or, 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 or anything it says. And we're living it within the confines of those restrictions rather than what we see here in the book of Acts. And there's a lot of that going on right now. One of the things you have to understand about the woke movement and and any other movement that is trying to silence a biblical standard or biblical truth, once you have to artificially protect your position, it is a tacit confession of the weakness of your position. They know it's a weak position. They know that it, is, that it, it can't be defended, that the positions that they take cannot hold up on their own in the public arena of discussion and back and forth, so they want to protect it artificially. They are afraid of the truth. And the greatest truth that they're afraid of is the Scriptures and the things of God. And, and so the coming uh, against all of that. But the pressure is great. Look at these corporations folding and boards folding and all of this. Well, we hope for a backlash and maybe we're starting to see a backlash. I'm a free speech guy. What, and uh, who's, the, who's the guy? Uh, uh, Neil Young. So he, he does this song back in the 60s or the 70s talking about free speech and up there, you know, in front of 20,000 people. Yeah, all right. And then Joe Rogan is saying whatever he wants to say on Spotify, and Neil Young says, I'm going off of Spotify. You won't find my songs. And, and, and this, is, this is the idea, the, the, the push against free speech, because the ones that are wanting that kind of special protection they know the weakness of their position. But if they can cow us into uh, living within their perimeters, then they've been very, very successful. And so the importance of us not looking to put a woke person in a headlock and poke their eyes out or something like that, I'm not advocating for that. But just to live our Christian life exactly as it is in the Scriptures and in every environment, speaking the truth in love, living the truth in love, and then giving God that to work with. And so I'd like the worship team to come forward. We'll probably be about five to ten minutes late. If that's too long for you, you can depart and pick up your kids or head to the car. But just to pray tonight in our own lives, if this is, if this is where we are in any kind of a, of a degree, and to just say, Lord, It's been a long time since I've 
started a day or walked into any situation asking for the sensitivity of your Holy Spirit in this situation and in this day for what you might want to do through my life and then to pray for boldness in our lives and then to pray as necessary for the refilling with the Holy Spirit. It says we are living in a massive way in Acts chapter 4 and this is the model for how we respond to it. Not just the man or the woman uh, that will rise up, maybe God will raise up for uh, revival. Not the extraordinary saint, but for every saint. And so let's not leave this without an opportunity to respond to it between us and the Lord.